When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, is Gremlins actually a Christmas movie? You know, there's some things I forgot to tell you guys, and they're really important. Number one, he hates bright lights, we know that. But you've got to keep him out of the sunlight. Sunlight will kill him. Number two, keep him away from water. Don't give him any water to drink. And whatever you do, don't give him a bath. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. Or welcome if you're new. Good to have you. Today I answer the question definitively as to if Gremlins is a Christmas movie. And I know it's always usually about, you know, with 80s movies, if Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie or not. That's been covered to death. This is going to look at what is... I think a Christmas classic and we're going to see why. But before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I should be there. Okay, let's get to it. So I'm going to just assume and hope you have seen Gremlins. If not, stop this, go find it, watch it, then come back and check this all out. So Gremlins is a classic. It's horror meets comedy. It's one of the most beloved movies of the 80s, but is it a Christmas movie at its heart? Gremlins came out in 1984. It was directed by Joe Dante and produced by Steven Spielberg. It told the story of the small mogwai, which can turn into an evil gremlin if not handled properly, which you heard in the intro of the show. Gremlins was a big deal to me as a kid. It was one of those movies that felt a little off limits because we knew it would be scary. It was also something of a pop culture sensation and gizmo as a character was very beloved but there's always been this confusion is it a christmas movie or is it sort of a dark comedy well let's start with a quick recap on gremlins itself so you start with an inventor who's looking for a gift for his son he stumbles upon a store that features the bizarre mogwai creature he buys the gift for his son but it comes with a few stipulations that you just heard. Don't get it wet, keep it away from light, and whatever you do, don't ever feed it after midnight. So we meet little Gizmo, and things are going pretty well, until one night he gets wet and starts to spawn off some other little Gizmos. There's now a bunch of cute little creatures running around the house that sound an awful lot like Ewoks, if you listen carefully. But these things are smarter than you think, especially their little leader, Stripe, with the little mohawk on his head. They trick their new owner, Billy, into feeding them after midnight, and that allows them to metamorphosize from cocoons to full-on gremlins. They then go on to terrorize the town while systematically getting killed off, including a very graphic blender and microwave death. 
The majority of the gremlins are blown away while watching Snow White in a movie theater and it leads to a final showdown with Stripe in a department store. Gizmo helps come to the rescue, exposing Stripe to an immense amount of light, which ends up melting him. Gizmo is picked up by the owner of the store as it's thought that the Western world is just not ready for the existence of the Mogwai. Until Gremlins 2, the new batch, of course. But that's a whole other show. So here's a few of the main cast from Gremlins, starting with Barney the Dog, was played by a dog named Mushroom. Billy is played by Zach Galligan. Kate Berenger is played by 80s icon Phoebe Cates. Randall Peltzer is played by Hoyt Axton, who also appeared on the Dukes of Hazard. He was on different strokes. And actually, he was a country sort of Western singer, actually wrote Heartbreak Hotel for Elvis. Mrs. Ruby Deagle was played by Polly Holiday. She was fro from Alice, but you might remember her as Gloria from Mrs. Doubtfire. Lynn Peltzer was played by Francis Lee McCain, who was, and I didn't even know this until looking further in. I don't know how I missed this. She was Stella Baines, a.k.a. Lorraine's mother in Back to the Future. Roy Hansen was played by Glenn Turman. He was also a doomed scientist in Super 8. He was also on shows like TJ Hooker, Matlock, and Murder, She Wrote. Gerald Hopkins was played by Judge Reinhold, who also starred in Fast Times at Ridgemont High with Phoebe Cates. And a young Corey Feldman played Pete Fontaine. And you might have wondered why he is friends with uh, Billy in the movie, because they're a lot younger. That was because the character of Billy was supposed to be younger too until they went with a different direction for that character, but they had already cast Corey Feldman in that role. So looking at a little of the production and the success of, you know, one of the definitive 1980s movies, it came out, though it's a Christmas movie, which we'll get to in a sec, it came out on June 8th, 1984. And the idea originated with the writer of the movie, Chris Columbus, who also brought us Home Alone, the first two Harry Potter movies, Mrs. Doubtfire, things like that. A friend of his had mentioned that ever since Jaws, there hadn't been a great monster movie made. Uh, Chris Columbus tells this story, I've heard a few times, but specifically one he told to Alec Baldwin on the Here's the Thing podcast about his time living in a loft in New York City that had mice running all around it. This is his quote. I would sleep with my hand draped over the bed and the mice would go by in the middle of the night. And I thought these tiny creatures are frightening. So I spent the next six weeks writing a script called Gremlins. Columbus wasn't a notable filmmaker yet. So he wrote it, he wrote it on his own accord with no specific interest in it. No one had asked him to write it. No one had um, paid him a spec to write it or anything like that. It was just something he thought that would be interesting. He sent it to his agent who liked it, but thought it was a little bit dark. But either way, thought it was promising. They sent it out to around 50 producers and studio executives, and they all passed on it. So this is where a little bit of serendipity comes into play. So somehow, this is in 1982, a script for Gremlins had got as far as the desk of the secretary for Steven Spielberg. Spielberg was on his way out that day and happened to notice the script sitting on the corner of her desk. He thought that the title seemed interesting, so he picked it up. He read it that weekend and then decided he wanted to make it. Columbus was flown out to meet Spielberg and Gremlins was on its way. Gremlins, of course, was a huge hit. It made $153 million on a budget of only $11 million. It also opened on one of the best weekends of the 80s alongside Ghostbusters. 
It's also interesting because it came out during an interesting time in movies. Gremlins is still a violent, you know, black comedy, but kids and parents were easily drawn in with how cute Gizmo and the Mogwai were that were featured in all the commercials and the promotional materials. But the movie would be heavily criticized for how gory and violent it was. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was the movie that kickstarted the era of PG-13 as it was also considered way too violent for standard PG rating. And Steven Spielberg was partially behind um, this brand new movie rating. And I did a whole show on the PG-13 rating, so go back and check that out. Gremlins was also grouped in with this whole Indiana Jones thing. So within two months of it coming out, we now had a PG-13 rating, which it probably should have had in the first place. So there's a lot of Christmas stuff to get to, but here's some interesting production notes and some fun facts that happen over the course of the movie. In the scene where Gizmo pops out of the basket uh, when they first get him home, the dog actually jumps from real startlement and starts growling. And you can see, uh, I think it's Billy or the actor playing Billy, having to hold him back because the dog didn't know it was real and eventually ended up um, attacking and ripping one of the ears off the puppet uh, Gizmo's. The microwave scene was actually changed as the original version was much gorier, if you can even imagine that. Here's something I didn't know, but Gizmo, the voice of Gizmo, was done by Howie Mandel. Steven Spielberg makes a cameo in the movie at the trade show. He's the guy riding by in the scooter with the hat and glasses. Interesting one, in the town, uh, Kingston Falls, the movie theater displays the titles A Boy's Life and Watch the Skies, which were the working titles for E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You might have noticed, actually, it's almost impossible to recognize them, but uh, the two cops that are at the police station, the one sitting down at the desk when we see them, the, the one sitting down is played by Jonathan Banks, a.k.a. Mike from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Two of the voices of the gremlins... Uh, more like sound effect voices, but they were done by Peter Cullen and Frank Welker. And if you know your 80s cartoons, you know that uh, they are the voices of Optimus Prime and Megatron from Transformers. And one other little interesting thing is the shot in the bar when uh, Phoebe Cates, a.k.a. Kate, um, is shot at by one of the gremlins. He hits a picture of a World War II B-17 bomber, which were nicknamed gremlins. So they wanted to get that shot in there. So looking at why this is a Christmas movie, and there's three or four main reasons. And the first one, you know, sort of the obvious is it's set at Christmas. And I know that's blatant, blatantly obvious, but it goes a bit deeper. Gremlins takes place in the town of Kingston Falls in the days leading up to Christmas, including Christmas Eve. So it features everything that you would expect in a Christmas movie. Snow, music, decorations, carolers toys you can see there's a shot in um, the department store of a stuffed et and smurfs which were really big toys that year there's constant talk about the season and the very basic premise of the movie is about a father buying his son a gift the colors and the images are all explicitly christmas based and even the gremlins themselves are green with red eyes also when they hatch out of their cocoons the cocoons also glow in that green and red sort of establishing it as a real you know christmas based movie we get the inclusion of the movie it's a wonderful life you know possibly one of the definitive christmas movies you know ever made one of the next uh things that makes this a christmas movie 
is the music. And the entire movie is filled with Christmas music. Even the score of the movie is very Christmas themed that you can listen to uh, if you have Spotify or Apple Music. Have a listen to it. And it's got a, it's got a very John Williams sort of Home Alone, Harry Potter, Christmassy theme to it. Um, there's, you know, the classic Christmas Carol Silent Night is actually woven into some of the musical score of the movie, specifically near the end. And again, that creates a real specific mood and atmosphere and tone through the movie. That idea of a more, you know, slower paced, reflective Christmas Carol, as opposed to something like Jingle Bells or whatever. But the the soundtrack itself does have a lot of uh, kind of, you know, uh, almost uplifting Christmassy theme music as well, too. There's specific songs in the soundtrack, especially the opening theme. It's called Fanfare and C slash The Shop slash The Little One. Again, has that real sound to it. Late for Work has that real Home Alone Christmas sense to it. The Gift, again, these are other tracks from the soundtrack. Very specific carol sense to it. Even the track The Lab slash Old Times features church bells and really like magical Christmas sounds. The movie itself opens with Christmas Baby Please Come Home by Darlene Love. Besides that, we also hear Do You Hear What I Hear, along with all the other caroling songs throughout the movie. So here's one of the main Christmas themes that go goes into Gremlins. It's really all about the dangers of commercialism at the holidays. And again, the basic premise of the movie is a father buying a present for his son. But it's not just a random present. Billy's father has been so absent with his travels for business and everything that, you know, he feels that he's really neglected his son. Randall, his dad, realizes this too, and he's trying to find the greatest gift gift he can give him to make up for all this. But, you know, affection and love can't be bought with commercial goods. And one of the big problems that has emerged with Christmas over the decade, again, is this focus on commercialism and commercial goods. And you can prove how much you love someone by the how much you spend on their gift and all that. The gremlins themselves, they also represent the chaos that happens when consumerism takes over the heart and soul of a holiday. They are, you know, in the second half of the movie, they are running amok the same way capitalism and commercialism have during the season. The gremlins represent the damage that can be done when the focus shifts from joy, love, peace, and family, and into greed and want. You don't need to buy the latest and greatest gift to be a good parent or show someone that you love them. The gremlins spreading out of control as the movie progresses represents how our greed and commercialism at Christmas have also sped out of control. I think it's why Silent Night plays through the score, especially in those last parts of the movie. People need to be reminded to slow things down, you know, kind of quiet their hearts and everything compared to the chaos that the season has evolved into. If you look at just the madness in shopping malls and from Black Friday onward and Silent Night being used in Gremlins is showing, you know, take that step back, quiet things down a little. One last part about this, Gremlins is also a comedy at its heart, albeit a dark comedy. And you might wonder why the movie takes the bizarre turn it does. You know, it goes from very kind of science fiction-y and then all of a sudden the Gremlins are now dressing up and caroling. They're at the movies, they're drinking in a bar, they're playing cards, they're doing weird stuff like the ones doing the flash dance dance. 
Fun fact, that song that they featured in this in that scene in the movie is called Mega Madness and was actually written and performed by Michael Cimbello, who wrote the original Maniac from Flashdance. But why is this, you know, the movie being like this straightforward, again, sort of science fiction movie, why has it now gotten from these gremlins being these evil killers into these like absurd, wacky kind of cartoon figures just out of nowhere? And I think that's really because they're taking on this uh, absurd persona as a way to show how absurd everything during the holidays has become, especially like I mentioned, like the black Friday things. Um, but also, you know, at the time people breaking bones to get a cabbage patch kid, which was, you know, the hot toy in the eighties. And again, that just absurdity of commercialism and fighting people in the streets and parking and being, you know, the person to be able to like fight over that last gift that's available on the shelves. So their absurdity is reflected, um, is reflecting the absurdity that's sort of happening in the culture around the holiday season. Another reason this is a Christmas movie is that it explores the theme that the movie and the gremlins themselves represent how Christmas is a difficult time for many people. And of course, Christmas is great from, you know, it's real true meaning up to all the frivolous stuff that we still love, like candy canes and mistletoe and all that stuff. There's there's still a lot that's joyous and wonderful about the Christmas season, but it's not that way for everyone. Christmas can represent a difficult time of year and not everything is always shiny and bright. The movie and the gremlins themselves represent the opposite to the many movies that kind of force Christmas cheer down your throat. You know, looking specifically at all those Hallmark movies, Sometimes it is okay to be upset and realize that not every Christmas can be perfect. It's okay if you're not, you know, caught up in the joy of the season. Some people feel anything but joy, even though everything around them is, you know, snowy and white. And Gremlins is there to remind us of that. Again, you know, a bit more of a dark take, but the truth for a lot of people. And I think it's all summed up perfectly by Kate's speech about how she really found out there isn't a Santa Claus and it doesn't get much darker than that. So Gremlins exists as not an anti-Christmas movie, but one that shows the opposite side of the coin. It's a helpful reminder that there are struggles, anguish, and strife for many people during the holidays, and they might not be latching on to the, the joy that's sometimes stuffed down their throats, you know, through, again, the commercialism um, and the overabundance of all that stuff during the holidays. So I'll start winding it down here just with a a few more final thoughts on it all. And again, how do you sum up this movie? Is it a Christmas movie? Is it a Christmas horror movie? Is it a dark comedy? Or is it just an awesome movie from the 80s? I believe it's all of those things, but at its core is primarily a Christmas movie. The setting, the style, the tone, and the messages are all about the Christmas season. It shares a few lessons on, you know, again, the dangers of consumerism and commercialism and not having to feel forced to act a certain way there. I believe they're saying Christmas can be whatever you make it, you know, so to quote Doc Brown and Back to the Future 3, make it a good one. So what do you think? Do you think it's a Christmas movie? Not even close. Had you not thought of it that way? Uh, if you had any thoughts or feelings, feel free to write to me at Jamie at everything 80s podcast dot com i'd be interested to hear but that's it for me hopefully you enjoyed this show again if you haven't already make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast i should be there and i will be back very soon thanks for listening bye